Like a sparrow building shelter with branches for its young My mother built a nest with love for her little ones My grandfather told her it doesn't matter what you have The only thing you need for life is each other's helping hands Never the emptiness, my mother Everybody, I'm Vanessa. I'm Nicole. I'm Jackie. And welcome to Never the Empty Nest. Super happy to have everybody back because we have an amazing show with fabulous guests. We're talking family to family, needle to needle today. Um, we have a, our guests are Jason Canela. Hi, Jason. Hey, girls. What's up? What's up? I'm very happy to be here with y'all. Thank you for for allowing uh, my family and I to be here with you guys. And we have um, his mom and dad who are on board, Lisette and Eriberto. Hi, welcome. Hi, nice to meet you all. So we should probably say that um, Jason is an actor. He's in the entertainment industry. He's an amazing performer. Um, and and our families here, our, our two needles that are going to be talking to each other today are both Cuban and um, our show is going to be Spanglish, English and Spanish. So um, with that, I think we'll start and just talk a little bit about how is everybody. First, how is everybody doing? Hey, Jason, how's your day going so far? My day is uh, it's going great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited because uh, I'm getting things ready to jump on a plane and head to Miami for the march that we will be uh a part of this Sunday, so uh, it's been a while for me since I've been back home, so I'm just excited to see my family and, and also get to stand in solidarity with all our brothers and sisters uh, for, for obvious reasons that we know what's, what's going on. Yes, we have a, a Freedom March in Miami um, for Cuba on Sunday, so that's, that's amazing. Super excited to get to see you in person. And Lisette, how's your day going? My day is going fabulous, really good <laughs> as always. Awesome. Oh, over here, you guys, mom and, and Nico. I'll let mom talk first because, you know, she's the mom. The mom. Our day is going uh, as usual. It's going um, good. We've had a few hiccups, but here we are. Um, I'm just getting um, a little uh, anxious because I know um, I've been here. As you guys know, I live in L.A., with my um, husband and kids. And I've been here for what, six weeks, mom? Uh, I leave in a week and a half, back home, back to my other home, my other nest, because I have two nests. Um, so I, I start getting that like um, nervous, sad feeling because I'm leaving um, all the Cubanness <laughs> and going back to LA. So it's a mixed feelings because I'm excited to go back home. Um, uh, but I, it's also it's also kind of sad because the primos are gonna be apart and all that. Um, but that's today. I started to feel that um, little bit of anxiety, but excitement to get back. It's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Well, I'm. Well, stay a couple of now more that weeks. She mentioned it. Wait, wait. Lisa was saying something. Stay a couple more weeks. Tell us, Lisa. <laughs> I love it. Stay a couple, stay of more, a couple weeks. more weeks. Oh yeah, I know. You know, it's I extended. Uh, my stay. I was supposed to only stay till the 
for what four weeks and yeah. i always extend <laughs> mom you were gonna you say know, something so crazy. No, i i i was uh i didn't want to bring it up uh but yes i'm going through the same feelings that nikki is it happens to us all the time uh she's with us for a, a long time here and i know that the moment where um she's leaving and the kids uh is upon us so uh that makes me sad yeah jason what were you gonna say yeah. you you know this it's experience so it's so like funny to to hear her say that because every time that i go back home i have obviously you know and for me it kind of really sucks because more often than not my trips are literally anywhere from 48 to 72 hours which mm -hmm. is a to do that, you know, cross-country trip for only that amount of time. But, um, but yeah, like my mom, every time that I go, it's like I, I, we're two days or a day and like my mom and my dad are like, eh, ¿por qué no te quedas otro día? Otra de yeah. dos días más, tres días. And then you, you end up extending it, extending it. And like, if it, if it were up to me, I would just, you know, extend it forever. But, um, yeah. 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 Can you, I, I mean... Girl. I know it's it's one of the things we talk a lot about in the in our podcast in terms of how the net is extending across the country um, because it has to because we live in all kinds of different places. Uh, but how our Cuban desire is to always hang out together. Um, so the one thing we want to start with is that you guys have, have have a famous party that happens on the 17th of December. No. 16 Um, we usually at, at 12, that's when we pray and, and that's when we light up a candle and, uh, and, and mostly, um, all of the family does the same thing. We're reunited and praying. And of course our family in Cuba and our brothers and sisters are in every one of our prayers because that's something We usually buy, um, every, everybody lights up a candle and then uh, we light up a special candle for the, for the world and the peace and the love everywhere else. Okay, so for those people that don't know, December 17th is the Feast of St. Lazaro and you guys have a very special party that happens on the 16th, the day before, and everything that you said happens there. Jason, can you tell us a little bit about what that party is like and then we're going to ask your dad how it started. Man, that party, it's it's so, uh, it's pretty amazing, uh, like, the involvement that that party has had from, like, when I remember it to today. Um, funny enough, even though it's my parents who are hosting the party and doing it, I wasn't allowed to go to the party for uh, <laughs> um, the, the earlier years of my life. They didn't allow kids because, obviously, it was just, you know, inconvenient to have kids running around when there's over 200 people, close to 300 people uh, at the wow. house, which is the numbers that, that we had uh, dating back to like the early 90s um, at the house. I mean, this was, I think also something to take into consideration is that uh, 
if I'm not mistaken, mom, correct me, but the 16th of December is also uh, my parents' anniversary. Yeah, exactly. Oh. We got married on the 16th. And Aww. so, and so, you know, it's it's always been like my dad will talk about it a little bit more uh, about where the origin yeah. of like the party came about. But but it's a party that you know um, has it, it's a celebration, better said, um, that that has been going on for thirty plus years. And uh, for me, it was always just so incredible to see uh, the unity and and the love and the, and the just sheer joy that that every single person that night had um and, and it's amazing because a lot of times people travel from other places just because of the like the the fame that the party uh has has gotten over the years of like because you know it's just something where like sometimes you don't even see people throughout the whole year but you know you're gonna see them yeah on the 16th of December at the San Lázaro party. Not, um, not only that, but neighbors that lived in the area that for many years attended the party, they move, they sell their homes or they get divorced and they get remarried. And on the and 16th, you see them. They got to a point where I remember one of the years that we finally decided to to try to do invitations to cut it down a little because there were, there were times where I didn't even see the... the it's supposed to be a family together because they all believe in San Lázaro and we've been doing it for so many years. But it got to a point where I sometimes I didn't even see some of the family members, which are, are my husband's family is huge. And of course, it's my family too now after so many years. But yeah, Jason is right. It got to a point where we said... Out of um, control. I mean, I'm control. talking <laughs> like the parking, the parking for this party would go on for like about four blocks. Five and this blocks. is at your house, right? Uh, you're talking about, huh? And yeah, we live on a lake. House. So our house in the back, it's really, really big. Mm-hmm. I mean, easily 150 people, 160 people where the lake is. We have it all with cement and it's like a big patio. Yeah. So a lot of, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. There's a, there's even a little area for dancing, a huge, in the back and, uh, no, my favorite thing about it, I'll be honest, like, so like, like I said, I wasn't allowed to go at the earlier years and like our cousin that literally lived across the street and, and no, not the typical Latino cousin that you just grew up with that, you know, like you say is your cousin, like our actual cousins and my dad came from Cuba with their dad, like they live across the street. And so it was the, my older cousin's job to like take us to the movies when the party started. And hmm. so like we weren't there, but then you know, we'd get home from the movies at like 11 and then everybody was, there were so many people that we actually used to be able to sneak into the party. <laughs> Mind you, like I'm, I'm sneaking into my backyard and a little fun fact, actually, which I'll never forget this. I was probably like about nine years old and my cousin and I had the idea because, yo, we're hustlers. You know, we had it, we got it in our blood <laughs> and we actually went to the open bar and started grabbing beer out of the cooler oh and God. selling it at the party for a dollar. To the guests. <laughs> to the guests. I remember that. And, and people, people were so, like, they, they were so uh, humored by the whole thing that, like, they started giving us dollars for the beer. And, like, by <laughs> I will never forget when my dad saw me and Anthony 
with freaking like wads of cash. <laughs> uh, just to, I, I don't know what he was more mad about the fact that we were there or the fact that we were selling the beer selling our own that beer. people are supposed <laughs> to be getting. Um, and then it was super embarrassing because he made us give all the money back and we had to find the people, give them, and then of course get you know punished and that whole thing. But anyways, like it's just it, it really is such a such a like stamped day in our culture and in our community that not even the police can shut it down. The party mm-hmm. has happened on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And it always goes to like about 3, 4 a.m., sometimes even 5. And the cops will come at different times and only to serve themselves food because there's tremenda paella. That's like amazing. My mom does a crazy spread. And they'll just eat it in the front on top of the car. They'll talk some, you know, awesome. sit with us. And, and then they'll just leave. Like, the it, it's just that uh, it's a staple of, of like the community. You know, people know that it happens and, and they're a part of it. And, and it's really when you get to know the story behind it, you understand, you know, uh, yeah. way more about That's, it. That's what I love about it is that it's the family itself and then it extends to the neighborhood and then a little bit beyond that. So it's like it's covering so much. And why don't we have Lisette? I know my sister has a question, but Lisette, can you tell us who St. Lazaro is? Me sacaste la palabra de la boca. I was like, for those, there's a lot of people that are going to hear the podcast that have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> who is San Lazaro? Yes. Um, so, Lisa, will you tell us who San Lazaro is? As Cuban Catholics believe in saints. He's a saint. Um, my, my, uh, I grew up in the United States, so I might not be able to tell you exactly what the Cubans would probably want to hear of San Lázaro. My husband would probably know more of who he was, and I would like for him to tell you that in Spanish Great. because I think his his knowledge, since he's the one that celebrates it and, and he's the one that brought it to all of the family, I'm sure he can probably tell you a lot more than I could. He's a, he's a saint, and he used to be... Um, um, Jesus cured him of lepra, And uh, he was, uh, yeah, he used to drink. He wasn't like uh, the type of saint that was always saint. But um, I would love for him to tell you a little bit more. Do you want me to put him on? Yeah. Really quick, mom, before before we do that with dad, I also want to, I just want to say this because I think it's important uh, that people kind of see the different levels that that there is to this, you know, because it's very easy to misinterpret something mm-hmm. and like okay. and and they'll whoever's listening will will get this this information now when dad talks a little bit about why okay. this all came to life but you know there's there's we have to keep in mind that this celebration that that my family has been doing for many years it, it's really all based on a simple promise. fact that my father made a promise exactly um, my father is, and not, not only my father, but both my mom and my dad, if there's something that they've taught me and my siblings, or better said, my siblings and I, uh, it, it's, it's, it's the fact that, like, your word is everything. There yeah. isn't an amount of money. There isn't a contract. There isn't anything that will ever amount to what your word means. And as you know, Vanessa, and, mm-hmm. and your sister and your mom and anyone else listening will now come to find out when my dad shares the story. Uh, my, my father was in a situation to where he was, you know, potentially staring at, at death in the face. And uh, he he decided to make a promise 
based on, on something that was given to him that honestly, I, I don't know how much he believed in at that moment, at that precise moment in time. However, you know, in life, sometimes when we're faced with certain trials and tribulations, we, we kind of, we grab onto any branch uh, that, that we see. And, and my father made a promise. Uh, and, and to this day, because it, it came true, because what he asked for happened, uh, it's something that he, regardless of what happened, I mean, even during the pandemic, he found a way to still, you know, make this come to life. Not the way that it had happened in other years, but, but he still followed through. And he, it's something that uh, I, I think um, it's important to, to note that, like, it's not your typical celebration of what San Lázaro is. Exactly. I think many people have different, different, different versions of how they uh, celebrate uh, or celebrate the day. Um, and our our version of why we celebrate this day, it, it just simply uh, has everything to do with the fact that uh, we believe wholeheartedly that you know uh, th- that it's important to to honor whatever it is that, that you say you're gonna do. And you know, over 40 years ago, my dad made a promise, and to this day he honors it, and and he plans to do so till he's no longer here. And I plan to carry that torch and and continue that. Uh, for as long as I'm here, and I pray to God that if I ever have kids, they continue to honor that promise as well, because it's just something that had had it not happened and had it not come to fruition, I I probably wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is awesome. And with that, I think we welcome. Yeah, but Jason, Jason, Jason is right. Everybody has a a different celebration. It depends on the not on the culture, but on the on the religious part, um, a lot of people do it differently. Like a lot of people, have, supposedly every saint that I've heard of has a different type of food that you serve, mm-hmm. uh, a different type of scenario. Like um, uh, some people celebrate it with a certain type of music. We we do not do that. We we have hors d'oeuvres. We have different types of food every year. But like Jason said. It was done because he made a promise, mm-hmm. and he he he's always kept his word on doing that, and and that's how we celebrate it. But again, a lot of people do it differently. Yeah. So should we welcome the legend, the man, Eriberto Canel? Hello, Eriberto, cómo estás? Hola, Vanessa, cómo estás? Qué gusto saludar. Igual, igual, estamos... Hola. Aquí está Nicole, mi hermana, y mi mamá. Hola. Estamos hola, aquí... Hola, hola, hermanitas. <risa> pues, bueno, no tengo, no tengo el gusto de conocerla a ustedes, pero sí es de conocer a Vanessa y, y qué talento, ya que, que felicidades a ustedes por la hermana y, y la hija que tienen, porque... Es una mujer que, que tiene un talento fuera de lo normal, de respeto. <risa> bueno, aquí estamos familia a familia. Y hablando de Seguro. tu historia extraordinaria, we're going to talk about Heriberto's extraordinary story and why San Lázaro exists today. Um, so, why that party exists. Heriberto, ¿por qué nos cuentas un poquito de, 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 del origen de esta fiesta que tienen ustedes el 16 de diciembre? Bueno, rezando, antes de contar, rezando y, y con una motivación tan grande de que tenemos la gran oportunidad de que el mundo se entere de esta historia, que, que en realidad no es mi historia, es la historia de, de miles de cubanos y de miles, miles de latinoamericanos que de una forma u otra salen de sus países 
y, y a mí me tocó de esta forma, ¿no? Eh, no salir, bueno, salir inicialmente y después regresar a buscar a mis padres. ¿Dónde quieres que empiece? ¿Qué, ¿Qué quieres que te cuente? Bueno, primero voy a dejar a que mi mamá traduzca eso un poquito. Lo que vamos a hacer es tú hablas un poquito, después lo traduce mi mamá, porque la audiencia es más que nada entiende inglés, entonces ella va a contar un I poquito. Am, no. Ajá, coge. no, estás perfecto. No. Ah, okay. Perfecto. Hola, Heriberto. Okay. Gracias por compartir esto con nosotros. What Heriberto is telling us that the, uh, the nature of this uh, big celebration. Uh, that apparently has gone on for decades, uh, the origin of it is the story of how he came to this, but not only that, but how other families um, in Cuba, in Latin America, in many other cultures have gone through uh, the type of experience that he went through, and he's going to tell us his specific experience. Okay, so, Heriberto... ¿Por qué? Cuéntanos por qué eh, celebran a, a, a San Lázaro. Yo sé que, que fue por una promesa, pero ¿qué fue la historia? Bueno, bueno uh -huh. eh, eh, mira, en realidad yo llego aquí en el 80 por el Mariel, eh, tuve eh, el barco donde yo venía empezó a coger agua, yo venía con un yeso puesto en una pierna, eh, me, había, me había tenido un accidente en Cuba eh, cuando, cuando el exo del Mariel, y, y me, me tuvieron que rescatar en un helicóptero, eh, llegué a Miami y en realidad me crié en un sistema comunista, eh, siempre en, había un Jesucristo, un cuadro de Jesucristo en la sala de, del apartamento donde vivíamos, con mi mamá y mi papá, mi hermana y mi hermano, y, y la verdad es que yo nunca fui devoto de San Lázaro en Cuba, mi hermano sí, mi hermano ya cuando... Cuando fue adulto de 17, 18 años, yo debo dos años a él, yo tenía unos 19 años, yo tenía 17, él sí empezó a ser devoto de San Lázaro, al punto que caminaba hasta San Lázaro en Cuba, que era un tramo bien grande. Y cuando ya yo llego aquí, cuando yo llego aquí, que él inicialmente no quería venir porque era un poco devoto del sistema, como la mayoría de las familias en Cuba, que, que muchos estábamos en contra y había, había desgraciadamente algunos que sí estaba a favor y, y traía un, una situación familiar eh, eh, muy tensa, ¿no? Uh -huh. y, y él aún siendo devoto de San Lázaro, pues estaba un poquito con el gobierno, pero cuando yo llego aquí, que me voy por el Mariel, él no pasaron 15 días ya él sabía mi disposición de regresar por el mismo manera a buscar a mis padres y él viene para acá. Él viene para Estados Unidos de la misma forma por el Mariel. Obviamente aquello fue desastroso porque a él le hicieron un acto de repudio en, en casa de mi mamá y mi papá, al punto que a mi mamá en ese mismo acto de repudio le da un infarto mm. eh, estando en el apartamento. A ella le da eh, un pequeño ataque al corazón. Mm. Eh, que después se detectó aquí en Estados Unidos, que le había dado, y eh, bueno, mi hermano llega. Cuando ya yo decido irme para Estados Unidos por el mañana a buscar a mi familia en un barquito que, que conseguí prestado eh, por medio de un primo, y íbamos a ir eh, yo y, y dos personas más, el capitán y, y otro amigo, el otro amigo decidió no ir, y, y el capitán fue conmigo y a menos de 24 horas se pasó para otro barco y me dejó solo en el barco. 
eh, mi hermano en el momento en que yo me monto en el barco se quita una cadena eh, con un San Lázaro obviamente el San Lázaro sí era de oro pero la cadena se me quedó tatuada en el cuello porque era de esas que vendían en sí a dos pesos y se me marcó todo el cuello negro con la cadena <ríe> y, y con esta cadena me fui para Cuba con mi, con el San Lázaro me dijo mira para que para que San Lázaro te acompañe y por primera vez yo me ponía un San Lázaro en el cuello en el momento de salir eh, de, de Tabernier eh, camino a Cayo Hueso uh -huh. para Cuba entonces cuando Le, ya estoy Heriberto, si me das un chancecito medio, si me das un chancecito para, para, para yo rapidito sí, claro, claro. tratar okay. de traducir sí, cómo no, esa, cómo no, esa historia disculpa, tan linda disculpa, no, okay. no, 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 no te tuve okay, que parar porque okay. no te quería parar pero dije, eh, se me va a olvidar todo lo que está diciendo no, no, para <ríe> le voy a cambiar ya, la para. historia Um, he's telling okay. us what, uh, how, because Vanessa asked him, you know, how this uh, celebration started. So he took us back to his, uh, to Cuba, where he used to live uh, with his parents in his parents' house and his siblings. Uh, and this was obviously um, during uh, the uh, Cuban dictatorship under communism. But he he was not a completely devout person or religious person, but he does remember in his home always having a, um, Jesus. a, a, a Jesus, you know, uh, in, in, in their home. He remembers his brother uh, being devout to uh, San Lázaro. And, um, and when he fled, uh, although his brother at the time, uh, like in many families, was um, in sync with uh, the dictatorship that... And I think what what he's saying is that there were families... Within the families, there were separations of ideas. Of ideas. Right? And that Heriberto leaves through the Mariel and it has a cast on, he's lifted through a helicopter. That in itself is a story that would be <laughs> seven episodes by itself. But then he gets to the United States through a boat lift that happened through Cuba. And then um, his brother also finds his way out because there's a massive... I mean, he has a kind of realization, I need to get out of here. And when he gets to the United States, he has to go back for his the rest of his family. Well, his... his Heriberto, as I understood it, told his parents, I'm coming back I'm for I'm coming you. back. And a man of his word, he has to go back, right? Exactly. Yeah. So then he he gets to to uh, Florida, to Miami, and his when he says, okay, now is the time. I'm going back and I'm going back with this, with this, um, you know, captain that's going to help me. His brother takes off his, gives him a chain with San Lázaro on it. And that the San Lázaro is real, but the chain was like a chain that they got at Sears. So it, it, it like tattooed itself on him, right? And he, he carried it with him the whole way. And he's about to tell us what happens. His brother told him, I am giving you this so that it, so that you feel protected. And, and I pray, you know, that, that it protects you in this and what you're going to do now. Right. Okay, Heriberto, sigue. <laughs> <laughs> ¿Dónde, dónde nos quedamos? Eh, nos quedamos que estás por regresar por tus padres, si tienes la cadena puesta. El capitán te dejó solo en el barco. Y te que te ajá. Ok. Bien. Entonces, en el momento en que en que ya empieza la salimos de Tabernier y, y estamos en la travesía, este capitán a las seis o siete horas ha salido 
pues me, me dice que salimos como a las 4 de la tarde y a las 10 de la noche el hombre me dice, Canela, alcánzame la mochila, eh, ya me está un pomito con unas pastillas, este hombre le alcanza las pastillas y le digo, ¿qué te pasa? Y no, yo parezco el corazón, me tengo que tomar unas pastillas y ponerme abajo de la lengua. Oh Entonces le digo, pero ¿cómo tú me habías dicho esto? El hombre coge las pastillas, las pone en la lengua y me dice que estas pastillas él lo tumba en completo, que lo noquea que se va a mantener por unas horas casi inconsciente, eh, que se había tenido que tenía mucha presión en el pecho, que se sentía muy mal, bueno, se toma las pastillas y en, en una posición vegetal eh, se, mm. se encoge todo dentro del pedacito de camarote que tenía el barquito, que era un 24 pies con un solo motor, y este hombre como que cae en un detargo de inconsciencia ahí y, y me, por primera vez en la vida... Tengo el timón de un barco en la mano que, que tenía que ir a 180 grados, que era lo que él me había dicho inicialmente, que iba a coger 180 grados y que cuando viera el morro eh, a las 10 horas iba a coger 370 y que en dos horas y media, tres horas estábamos en el Mariel. Como decir, vamos a flyer en las 57. El hombre había entrado como en cinco o seis ocasiones eh, a Cuba eh, con la brigada 2506, eh, según me dijo él, y él tenía una experiencia tremenda en ir a Cuba porque, y, y un valor tremendo, ¿no? porque había entrado clandestinamente en contra uh -huh. del gobierno en aquellos momentos y, y yo dije, este es el hombre. Uh -huh. eh, entonces, eh, ahí estuve dándole, jamás me empaté con el 180 grados, que pasaba el 180 corriendo por los lados de la brújula aquella, y de noche, con, con aquel barquito, que era una hojita de papel en el medio de aquel mar imponente y negro y oscuro, y nada, y dándole hacia adelante, hacia adelante, y, y como a las seis de la mañana el hombre lo desperté, le empecé a tocar, lo traté de despertar en varias ocasiones, y como me contestaba, ah, no puedo, tú sabes, como que me babiando así, bueno, así se mantuvo toda la noche, en la mañana el hombre se despierta, eh, lo, lo confronto, eh, eh, mira por un, teníamos un equipo, el partido tenía un equipo que medía la profundidad y estaba midiendo 25 pies de profundidad todo el tiempo, él paró el barco, lo puso en neutro y miró y me dijo, mira, eh, has mirado todo lo que yo caminé en las horas que caminé, lo viraste para atrás, estamos a 15 millas de Tavernier, estábamos frente Dios. a Cayo Hueso, ya en ese momento Estados Unidos no dejaba ir para, para Cuba. Okay. Cuba te, te aceptaba que llegaras, pero ya habían cerrado las puertas, o sea que yo estaba yendo de una forma ilegal. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Y bueno, la cosa es que el hombre me dice que había que virar, que teníamos que regresar. Eh, casualmente yo le había regalado un par de patas ranas, careti y esnoque a él, y había llevado un juego para mí. Eh, y le dije, si yo me arrepiento de que este viaje siga para Cuba porque me acobardo, eh, eh, tú tienes eh, la fuerza como capitán de decirme que me ponga las patas rana y me tire a nado, porque acabo de pasar una travesía eh, donde me rescataron en un barco, un helicóptero, y me sacaron, y yo no sé, cuando me enfrenta al mar nuevamente, al que yo le tengo tremenda confianza, porque yo fui salvavidas en Cuba cuando estaba en la universidad, y, y, y pescaba submarino, o sea que yo al mar nunca le tuve ningún tipo de miedo. Uh 
lo sentía como, como la tierra para mí. Pero no sabía qué iba a pasar por, por la experiencia que había pasado. Paro para que digas. Sí, vamos a parar ahí. Ok, entonces está... I was going to say it in Spanish. <laughs> so, he's in the middle of the ocean. I should probably say, because we've said this in another episode, but just a quick recap. The Mario boat lift, in essence, was when, in 1980, the um, Cuban government allowed um, people to leave through the um, port of Mariel, and it's a lot more complicated that. We'll talk about it uh, at, the, at the end. We'll give a little uh, segment about that, but... Um, so he's going back for his parents and the captain of his boat, who, who he had entrusted to lead him to Cuba to pick up his parents, tells him all of a sudden that, um, he has a heart condition and to please pass him the bag that he has to take these pills or he's going to have a heart attack. Like the, the captain takes these pills and essentially becomes comatose on the boat. He's on the boat, he's immobile, and he's falling asleep and basically tells Eriberto, just just go 180, 180, keep going 180, as if anyone who hasn't um, you know, been the captain of a boat knows what that means. He has no idea what that means. And he he starts to to navigate with with the boat, is trying to find his way, is going and going and going and going and going. And then, you know, how many hours did he say later? It was 10 hours later. He said 10. Um, yeah, hours and hours. Well, really quick, Vanessa, yeah. just just to interrupt you, really Please. quick. I, I think the whole thing uh, with the what the captain told him was to stay on the longitude latitude of 180 on the compass. Right. And uh, and and obviously, like I mean, today it's it's, it's way easier to do that because you have a you know and I started to, and then he said that um he tried to stay on that 180 line on the compass but like like remember it's a 24 foot boat in the middle of the ocean even being five six miles out on, of, of the coast with a boat that big like you you literally are the way he described it you're a piece of paper mm -hmm. um so it, it, it's almost impossible to be able to keep that let alone in pitch in, in like pitch black conditions um so yeah so then i think he had an idea of what he was supposed to do he just it was pretty impossible to do it yeah and, and then when the captain finally wakes up he tells him oh my god you have literally gone in circles and we are, you know, 15 miles from where we started. We are where we started, essentially, right? Um, and then, Jason, do you want to pick up the rest of that translation until the point where he left off? No, no, you can, you can, oh, okay. you can do it. <laughs> no, no, you do it. <laughs> okay. Um, so then, at this point, he's facing the captain. Uh, y aquí lo, that's where we. That's where Heriberto left off, right? Yeah, he's yeah. he's facing the captain, and he has to make a decision about what's going to happen now. And, the captain doesn't want to continue. And at this time, the United States uh, was not allowed was not allowed to go back to Cuba. Right. So very important. Thank you, mom. So at this point, um, the boat lift had been closed. Essentially, the United States said no more refugees were done. But Eriberto has a promise to his parents and he's in the middle of the ocean and he's going to go pick up his parents. So Eriberto, dejamos ahí cuando el, el, los Estados Unidos dice 
ya, ya no es legal ir, pero tú estás en este, sí. en este momento con este capitán que te ha dejado plantado y, y, y tú Exacto. sigues. Sí. Uh -huh. Estoy haciendo el recuento hasta donde yo hago la promesa para que Exacto. Eh, me dijiste, ¿no? Uh -huh. ¿Por qué es que pasa todo esto y por qué yo hago la promesa? Entonces, bueno, este hombre eh, me dice que, que eh, he virado hacia atrás, que definitivamente la gasolina llevamos como unos ocho tanques de gasolina amarrada en la parte de atrás, cuando no se podía casi caminar, y llevamos dos tanques de agua uno como de, de dos o tres galones y un tanque de cinco galones con agua. Y eh, este hombre me empieza a decir que hay que virar hacia atrás. Eh, y ahí yo cojo las patas de y le digo, lo mismo que te dije para mí es para ti. Eh, ponte las patas de y vete nadando. Esto no vira para atrás. Yo hablé con mis padres, me están esperando. Ya Estados Unidos cerró. Yo estoy yendo ilegal. Yo te pagué 1.500 dólares a ti para que tú fueras conmigo, yo en el yeso eh, te, te había comentado en otro momento, Vanessa, que yo traje un brillante eh, uh -huh. que lo vendí como en 2.700, 2.800 dólares y aparte eh, en el mes y pico que estuve en Miami, pues me regalaron dinero a mi familia y, y, y guardé todo el dinero para tratar de ir a Cuba, que era eh, mi plan total, era regresar y traer a mis padres por esta vía del Mariel porque sabía que cuando eso se cerraba, pues las cosas ya iban a ser totalmente diferentes. Yeah. Y entonces ahí eh, nos enfrascamos en una discusión donde este hombre me dice, yo tengo que ir para atrás, yo estoy enfermo, eh, eh, tú sabes, y empezamos a pelear, empezamos a pelear, y de buena primera él saca un cuchillo que tenía en una cartucherita, saca el cuchillo y se tira, pero de una forma loca, para los tanques de agua, y le empieza a, empieza a cuchillar los tanques de agua. Y le, le, cuando yo veo que le está dando cuchillo a los tanques de agua, yo me tiro arriba y ahí empezamos a fajarnos a piñazos, logro quitarle el cuchillo a la mano, pero ya había roto los dos tanques, no. el agua botándose a chorro, y yo fajado con él en el barco el aquel en el medio del mar. Uh -huh. eh, definitivamente era un hombre eh, fuerte, eh, para mi desgracia, tocado mío, se llamaba Eriberto igual que yo. Y, 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 pero yo definitivamente tenía 26 años, eh, estaba también fuerte y grande, y entonces empecé a dominarlo y, y hubo un momento que yo, te lo juro, que, que empecé a buscarlo y adelante, entre la cara mía que yo estaba arriba de él y él, me colgó la cadena de San Lázaro y San Lázaro se movió así y enfoqué la vista y él me estaba diciendo, me ahogo, me ahogo, me ahogo. Y mi idea era en ese momento que, que Dios me perdone, porque yo yo no mato ni... ni al único animal que mato es una cucaracha. Estoy totalmente en contra de la de, de, de llevar las cosas de violencia, ni de matar ningún animal, menos que menos un ser humano que me hubiera desgraciado la vida eh, por un problema de conciencia. Pero en aquel momento yo estaba ciego. Y lo solté, lo solté y empezó a decirme, vamos al barco aquí, vamos al barco aquí, hay un barco seco, si nos van gasolina, porque él decía que no más pasaba la Y entonces ahí se, se apaciguaron las aguas, empezamos a, a tratar de hablar y él cogió el barco y, y fuimos hasta, hasta el barco que estaba como a una milla, era un barco como de 70, 80 pies. 
y empezó a hablar inglés en aquel momento. Imagínense, uh -huh. si ahora casi yo no entiendo, en aquel momento, pues, menos que menos. Uh -huh. Empezó a hablar inglés con ellos, ya cuando se estaba acercando, y en la en el, arriba del barco ahí se asomó un cubano y empezó a hablar conmigo, y me dijo, tranquilo, sí, le voy a dar gasolina. Primero habló con él en inglés, y entonces después empezó a hablar conmigo, así me que nos iba a dar gasolina, que nos acercaron, no había problema. Y entonces él fue acercando el barco, cuando se acercó el barco, me dijo, aguante el timón un momento, y apagó el barco, aguante el timón un momento, y cuando yo aguanté el timón, él cogió la mochila, y cuando fue a coger la mochila, que yo veo que va a saltar con la mochila, yo le hago así, me retiro, y logro quitarle la mochila de la mano. La mochila cae dentro del barco mío, y él se tira, y cae agarrado del barco, lo levanta, y cuando lo levantan, el cubano que estaba arriba saca un chocón, y me apunta y me empieza a ofender y a decir un millón de cosas que me tiraran el piso, eh, que, que yo era un delincuente, que estaba llevando secuestrado a este hombre para Cuba, que parecía esta mentira, que era que con el trabajo que habían hecho los cubanos en, en, en Miami, nosotros lo que veníamos a avergonzar, los marielitos de mierda, y ahí empezó a ofenderme a decirme un millón de cosas. Y eh, él hace así, y cuando, cuando me cuando empiezo a, a, a yo arrodillar en el barco y, y empiezo a hablar y abro la mochila, digo, yo lo que voy a coger es mi dinero. Y cuando abro la mochila, el dinero no estaba en la mochila. Mm. El dinero lo tenía él. Y entonces le digo, devuélveme mi dinero, que yo te di 1.500 pesos a ti, hijo de... Y ahí le empiezo a decir malas palabras. Devuélveme mi dinero y él, para suerte mía, hace así y saca el rollo de dinero con un nylon y me tira el dinero. Yo le tiré la mochila, cuando le digo, bueno, el dinero, el dinero no está aquí, le tiro la mochila para, para el barco y le digo, devuélveme mi dinero, devuélveme mi dinero, que el dinero no tiene, cuando me lo prestaron, me devuélveme mi dinero, entonces me dice, yo no quiero tu dinero, y cuando me tiré con 500 dólares, me, él automáticamente el cubano cambió y le dice, tú lo que eres un mercenario, y lo apuntó a él, y lo tiran en el piso que está preso, y se pone a ofenderle, a decirle cosas a él, así que tú le estabas cobrando dinero a este muchacho para ir a buscar hermanos a nosotros a Cuba, eres un delincuente que todo y ahí se pone, y se da cuenta que yo no llevaba secuestrado a nadie, de nada de eso. entonces, este hombre, de cierto modo, el americano, dueño del yate, estaba totalmente en contra mía, diciendo un millón de cosas, que yo estaba incumpliendo la ley, que totalmente, el tipo estaba totalmente en contra mía, y él llamó a Cossack y le dijo a Cossack que, eh, eh, que lo que estaba pasando. Y entonces él empezó a caminar y le dijo al cubano que nos amarrara al barco. El cubano me dijo, no se voy a amarrar al barco, pero ven al lado de nosotros. Uh -huh. Porque este hombre, si tú haces algo, te, te va a tirar. Te va a tirar, ven al lado de nosotros. No te voy a amarrar, pero ven al lado de nosotros. Y ahí empezó a darle al yate y yo iba al lado y iba al lado y, 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 y pensaba en mis padres y ahí empecé, tú sabes, y empezaron a guárseme los ojos y, y con la garganta y entonces de buena primera me empecé a quedar un poquitico atrás, un poquito atrás y ellos me hablaron por el autopaldante ese y pararon el paco y cuando pararon el paco para que yo me acercara hice así y doblé el timón y, y me alejé de me tocó a los ellos y me tiraron con el chocón. Yo creo que el que tiró fue el cubano y, y que no me tiró, porque si, yo era una bomba caminante, uh -huh. yo tenía todos los tanques de la gasolina en la parte de atrás, que si un choconazo lo hubiera dado a eso, me hubieran 
me hubieran volado. Yeah. Eh, el, lo, los dos disparos que hicieron picaron como a seis pies de barco de cada lado. Y ahí seguí, ahí seguí, seguí. Y como era un barco chiquito, me alejé de ellos para moverse. Y caer más atrás no podía. El yate de ellos era muy grande. Y cuando más, a lo mejor 15 nudos, 18, 20 nudos máximo. Y, y, y nada, entonces ahí empezaba Y ahí empecé, eh, esto fue el domingo como a las 12 del día, y ahí empecé mi odisea tratando de 180, caminé domingo, lunes, martes y el miércoles, eh, ya yo no podía más, me había quedado, eh, me, me, me caía dormido y me volví a levantar, y, y, y a todas estas aterrorizado de no apagar el barco, porque si lo apagaba no sabía qué partido iba a poder arrancar, uh -huh. fueron tres días con ese barco arrancado, entonces... Y hay algún momento que no podía más, tenía toda la boca reventada, quemado en, en la cara, en los labios todo cuarteado, el sol me había, me había acabado. Eh, antes de dormirme, eh, me cogió una, casi las ocho de la noche, me cogió una especie de una tormenta, y el barco aquel era una hojita moviéndose para todos lados y el agua entrándome, y gracias a Dios me amarré una soga a la cintura y amarré al barco y, y el barco estaba ya casi en gasolina y con esa situación tuve que echarle gasolina y cuando fui a coger el tanque de gasolina antes de cerrarlo el tanque se quedó dentro del barco pero yo me caí para afuera me caí para afuera y estuve casi media hora para, para montarme en el barco el barco eh, eh, mi experiencia no lo había puesto en neutro y el barco estaba caminando pero muy despacito y, y el barco me arrastró y estuve media hora en, en, en el oleaje y arrastrado por la zona, me desbarató toda la cintura. Ahí logré subirme, siempre tratando de mantenerme al lado del barco porque eh, la protela estaba dando vueltas. Uh -huh. Y si me cogía, me podía, me podía matar. Entonces, nada, su, logré subir al barco. Eh, eh, y, y cuando ya estaba arriba del barco, bueno, ahí pasó lo que ya no podía más, el miércoles como a las 4 de la tarde, apagué el barco y cogí el ancla con una señal, la tenía como 70, 100 pies en la soga, la tiré en el mar, obviamente yo estaba en medio del puerto y no había, no había fondo y ahí es donde... Eh, yo cojo el sandazo, que ha sido la promesa más fuerte que he hecho en mi vida, porque me puse, dije, me voy a meter en sandazo, la que le dije, viejo, si yo me despierto vivo, yo te prometo a ti que te voy a hacer una fiesta todos los años, si yo me despierto vivo y, y, y me salvo de esta, y, o sea, y no, y no me muero, yo te voy a hacer una fiesta y a medida que yo prospere, yo voy a ponerte grande en mi casa y, y todos los años te voy a hacer una fiesta hasta el día que yo me muera. Mm. Y, y apagué el barco y me metí el sanlazo en la boca y me acosté. Fueron como, eran como las seis de la tarde y me levanté como a las cinco y pico de la mañana. Estuve once horas y pico dormido. Metido ahí, pero yo no cabía. Yo no sabía, era un, un triangulito en la parte de adelante del barco y tú levantabas una tapita y estaba una taza de inodoro ahí. Uh -huh. eh, y después te quedaba, todas las piernas me quedaban afuera, tenía que cogerlas para poder ahí, ahí, ahí me quedé. Cuando me levanté, que me desperté el jueves como 6 de la mañana, 5 de la mañana, 
me sentí una cosa caliente, automáticamente lo primero que iba a hacer era sacar mis láseres y casi sacándome de la boca, me acosté y lo agarré, lo mordí con los dientes y me lo moví para el lado porque yo lo que tenía en el lado derecho de la cara era horrible y cuando me pasé la mano tenía toda la vacía llena de sangre y la láser se me había encajado en la encima, había roto toda la encía. Y por eso te digo que ha sido una promesa horrible porque estuve hasta que llegué a Cuba, que llegué a tierra, me lo saqué y yo eh, comía y tomaba lo que fuera. Este hombre cubano me regaló dos botellas de agua. Uh -huh. Me dio una primera y después me tiró otra. Ya yo no tenía agua. Yo estuve casi unas... El, el viernes como a la... Por la noche. Ya yo me tomé el último. Era un dedito de agua. Lo último que quedaba de agua me lo tomé. Entonces... Eh, y yo el sábado, el jueves me levanté, el, el jueves seguí, eh, arranqué el barco, me presiné, me pedí a San Lázaro y el barco arrancó y seguí jueves, viernes y me quedaba el último tanque de gasolina, lo eché como a las nueve de la mañana, tenía todos los tanques vacíos en la parte de atrás del barco y, y como a la una de la tarde del sábado empecé a ver un cosquilleo en el horizonte, un cosquilleo, ese cosquilleo fue cogiendo tamaño, 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 y cuando ya me acerqué, era tierra. En ese momento pensé que había llegado a Haití, que me había ido para atrás, siete días en el mar. Y, y no, eh, habían dos señores de colores, botecitos como de unos diez, once pies, doce pies, sin, sin motor de remo, y estaban pescando y me acerqué a ellos. Y en inglés me dije, hey amigos, ¿dónde estamos? Eso era mi inglés. Y entonces ellos, ellos me dijeron, ¿qué tú dices, chico? Cuando me dijeron, ¿qué tú dices, chico? Me caí de rodillas en el piso y empecé a llorar. Me dijo que estaba en Cuba y estaba a 193 millas de María, estaba en la Isabela de Saúl. Ah. Y entonces nada, y ya llamaron a tocar y y al al cubana y viene a revisar que va un parol falsificado como que yo había salido de Cuba en el año 71 hacía ocho años nueve años que yo había salido de Cuba y, y yo llevaba documentos como si yo llevara tiempo en Cuba porque yo había salido de Cuba eh, de una forma clandestina con el cambio de entidad lo había falsificado que trabajaba en el municipio Cerro y, y supuestamente eh, para que me dejaran ir yo quité de todo mi antecedente de que había estudiado y, que, y del puesto que tenía en Europa. Mm. Así más o menos fue la historia. Entonces a partir de ahí han pasado 40 años y he celebrado San Lázaro todos los años. Eh, eh, y San Lázaro como de unos cinco pies en mi casa y, y para mí eh, es una promesa, eh, no, respeto todo lo que son las religiones, eh, pero no celebro salvaje desde el punto de vista de santería, ni de tabaco y todo, no, es como un cumpleaños, como respeto a la imagen y, y al personaje, y, y hago una fiesta donde le cantamos esa noche y, y, y reúno a los amigos, a la familia, el recordatorio de esos días que estuve en el mar perdido buscando el sueño de unirme con mi padre y bueno, ya se logró. Wow, 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 Heriberto. 
Dios te bendiga, mijito. Eh, wow. Yeah, it's a crazy story. Yeah, I want to cry. Yeah. Heriberto um, was uh, telling us, right, this uh, journey where he uh, was stuck in this tiny little boat that uh, in comparison is like a, a, a leaf in the sea. In the sea, yeah, it's, it's a small boat. Yeah, It's a very small mm -hmm. boat. One motor. It, one motor. He had commissioned the captain of the boat, right? As he told us, paid him a good money. Uh, this was about 40 years ago. $1,500. $1,500. Uh, and the job of this man was to t get him to Cuba. Um, and so what happened, the man that had his heart issues woke up finally to find out that he had been going around in circles and they were 15 miles from where they, uh, from Tavernier. The Which man, is the, the, yeah, the keys. The keys. In, yeah, the right. keys. Florida so they keys. started the keys on the way to Cuba right. and they're still right. basically near the keys. So then the man tells him, you know, let's go towards that boat over there. Uh, let's just go towards that boat. Uh, they'll help us. There's a boat in There's the sea that they see. There's a boat in the sea, um, a bigger boat, uh, a much bigger boat. And, and they did. And so... Um, you know, in good faith, Heriberto said, okay, they, they went. And then this, the captain of the boat started talking English to the men or the crew that was in that boat. Obviously, he didn't understand a word that he was saying. And um, there were some Spanish speakers and obviously not non-Spanish speakers. And One thing before he saw, he started to tell him, you know, we should stay here. We should stay here. He slashed the captain slashed. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Okay, you're gonna get there. Go ahead. Yeah. Or do you, the the captain slashed the water right, bottles. Right. So leaving them without water and without like further, without the resources to continue. Right. To I a guess degree. that was his insurance that this is it. This is where it's gonna end. We're not going anywhere. Right. Yeah. He was scared. Uh, so then they had a back and forth with uh, Heriberto not knowing what had transpired verbally between the captain and the English speakers in the in the other boat. Uh, he then realized the English speaker uh, started insulting him um, and that, uh, you know, dropping the name of Mariel. And uh, at the end, you'll know why uh, Mariel sometimes has a bad connotation. Uh, that uh, he was a, a shame to the Cubans that were in in, in Miami now, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there was then. This is the guy. So this is the guy on the big boat that right. that they had, had headed toward, and um, they were on the boat. And apparently, the the captain that had was supposed to help Eriberto for those fifteen hundred dollars had said something to this guy in English that had turned him against Eriberto. So they're on on the deck of this ship and and Heriberto's not understanding and he's like whatever just give me back my $1500 give me back the $1500 and at that point when that when the captain because he had represented it he has represented that he had that Heriberto had kidnapped him exactly okay that Heriberto had kidnapped him so the people on the boat believed it okay and um and so when Heriberto said, no, give me back my money. I paid you good money to take me. And the guy takes, uh, because Heriberto again went for the backpack and the backpack was empty uh, and did not have his money. And so he asked for the money and the guy threw the money at him. At that point, the people on the boat realized, wait a minute, you're not kidnapped. You paid this guy to help you take you to Mariel. And they turn their weapons onto the guy, the, the captain who was supposed to help 
Heriberto, that said, remember, it's still illegal at this point to go back to Mariel because it happens, you know, while they're sailing. And and they say, fine, you know, we understand that this was all, this is a big giant mess. This is like literally adventure story of, it sounds like, you know, pirates at sea. This is a big freaking story. Um, they say, fine, you know what? Tug the boat behind us. Let's, we're not going to tie you to the boat, Heriberto, just just follow us and let's head back. But when they're heading back, and Heriberto says, fine, you know, what's he going to do, right? At this point, fine, I'm, I'm in this boat, I'm in this situation, I have no water because this guy has punched up my water bottles. I have nothing. And these people are saying they need to take me back, you know, to the United States. We Great. skipped the part where they fought. Heriberto had to fight this man in, yeah. in his own boat. Okay, so we did skip that part. We skipped that part, but that happened. He there was a big struggle uh, because obviously the man uh, was not going to take Heriberto where he needed to go. So he he had a knife, and uh, Heriberto had to struggle with this man. Took the knife away, uh, etc. So then yep. that happened a little bit before they went on the other boat. Right, but then now they're on this boat and they have to head back to the United States. Heriberto says fine, but as he's on the boat and sailing. He's heading over in that direction away from his parents, the people that he has to pick up. And he starts to feel a, a swelling of emotion. And, and he's actually crying in the ocean and thinking, you know, I can't. I told my parents I'm going to go back for them. And so he starts to slow down and he doesn't keep going. And the boat starts to gain distance in front of them, at which point they call out Teriberto, hey, buddy, catch up. So they stop the boat And at that point, Heriberto turns his and heads towards Cuba. And at this point, the people on the boat sh shoot. But Heriberto believes that they shot at nothing. Because imagine, here's a guy who had a bunch of fuel tanks on a tiny one-motor boat. If it would have hit him anywhere, that boat would have exploded. So he's now stuck in the middle of the ocean um, with with, you know, fleeing at this point from this other boat and headed towards Cuba. I'm going to jump a little bit just to say that he is three days lost, not knowing where he is, three full days without sleeping, not knowing what to do, no water. He had two small bottles that the people on the boat had given him, you know, because they saw that his his water had been slashed. Um, and he just says, I, I need to... I need to sleep. There's no way that I can do anything else, at which point he makes a promise. And here's where we end up at where we started, which is why this party to San Lazaro exists. He makes a promise. He puts the medal of San Lazaro around his neck. Which in his, his brother mouth, had given him. Which his brother had given him for safety. And he's like, I don't know, man. I he puts it in his mouth and he's like, I'm not going to take this metal out of my mouth until I get to Cuba. And if I get there and if I am alive, I promise I'm not going to take this out of, the mouth, but out of my mouth. But if it happens and I'm, I'm alive when I get there, I will throw you the biggest freaking party every single year until I die. And I will, I will essentially like give, give grace and be grateful to you and, and venerate you in that, in that way. Um, and And so he puts it in his mouth and um, it's there and he falls asleep. And however many, many hours later, he wakes up. He's all, he feels warmth and pain all over his mouth because of course the metal at this point has embedded itself in his gums. 
And he remembers his promise, but he sees he's alive and he says, I can't take it out of my mouth. So what a freaking promise, because now this thing is in my mouth and I am full of pain, but I need to get to the shore. Um, and he keeps going and he keeps going. And finally, there's this little flickering in the horizon and there is Cuba, except he doesn't know that it's Cuba. He thinks he's reached Haiti. And he says, well, whatever, I'm alive. And he thinks there are these two people that are Haitian that are that are on a boat that are there that he sees and they're going to save him. And that's fine. And he waves out to them. And then the 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 people on the on the boat say, oh, Chico. And he's just like all of the thank you to everything because he hears that they're Cuban. Um, and at that point, he realizes that he has arrived finally in Cuba um, and yes, when he when he reaches land, he he finally takes the metal out of his mouth. He is able in the end to bring back his parents, and 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 that's the origin story of this giant party on December 16 and 17. So it's a big story. And you're gonna say, so what does this have to do with a nest? And so we say this has everything to do with a nest. Mom's crying. We're all crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bueno, ahí falta, ahí falta en nuestra película, ya se contará el, el encuentro con mi mamá, sí. mi papá, mi hermana, y el regreso, el regreso a Cuba. Y mi enseñanza a andar con el barco, que todos los cubanos que estaban ahí en, en el Mariel, Socorro, me acuerdo del Socorro, en Paz Descanse, que después nos hicimos amigos aquí en Miami fue uno de los que me enseñó en el parco era salir y gracias a él es que yo logro llegar a, a Miami con mi familia viendo que yo salí bajo una tormenta tremenda nos mandaron a salir bajo tremenda tormenta y, y así debido a lo que había aprendido en esos siete días que estuve en Mariel mm -hmm. eh, siete ocho días que estuve esperando a mi familia pues gracias a Dios pude yeah, it's incredible. I mean, all this to say that there's so much left of the story because he had he had to make it back with his whole family. Right. But I mean, I think the 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 whole point of this journey was to be unified again with family. Mm -hmm. That the sea could not separate them. That literally nothing could get in the way of that. And I feel like talking about nests and expanding and what that means, that huge net, I feel within our, I'm going to cry too, <laughs> within our um, independent nests, right? Every Cuban feels so connected because of everything that either we went through, our parents, our grandparents, our sisters, our brothers, and what they're going through right now in the island. Um, we are one big nest, right? Like Cuba itself, inside, outside Cubans, outside of the island and, and inside, we're just all in and this massive main nest, you know, and I feel like we're all connected <clears throat> and one family. Um, I just want to thank you guys for yeah. that story. That's and um, Jason, I don't know if you want to say some, I know my mom has one more thing to say, but I don't know if you want to say something as the son who's going to carry this legacy. Hay una anécdota, Vanessa, hay una anécdota muy importante eh, que, que tenemos que contar en la película, que es que cuando yo llego al Mariel, creo que era Álvarez, Tomás Álvarez, Tomás, no me acuerdo el apellido de, del guardia que, como el barco se llamaba, me dijo, el capitán de los tres chiflados entra de marcha atrás aquí, parqué el barco de marcha atrás, y yo le dije, de marcha atrás, no, yo, yo no sé cómo se le pone la macharra a esto. Me dijo, pero ¿de dónde tú vienes? Le dije, yo de Miami. ¿Y cómo tú no sabes poner la macharra? Le digo, no, yo nada más le daba para adelante. Y si te lo el capitán, le dije, 
el capitán se bajó del parque y me dejó a mí aquí, tú sabes, y se tuvieron que montar ellos y poner la marcha atrás al barco, y ahí fue donde yo aprendí cómo se le ponía wow. la marcha atrás al barco porque yo estaba más traviado para adelante. Déjame traducir o sea, eso. That's, que, that's an important section, even just symbolically. So mm -hmm. he, he's saying that when he actually got to Cuba, they... Um, You know, they told him, fine, you're here, you know, put the boat in reverse. And he's like, reverse? I don't know how to go in reverse on this thing. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and they were like, wait, where are you from? I mean, what? And he's like, I'm coming from Miami. I All I've done is go forward and forward and forward and forward. And I just think that that's a, <laughs> a really beautifully symbolic thing there. Yeah. Um, Mom, you were going to say something to, to wrap Crazy. us up here. Yeah, um, I, I guess. Oh, wait, I think it was Jason that yeah. someone no. was going to say something. No? Okay, Mom. Uh, well, you had asked me a question. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, go. No, but you, your mom could talk and then and then I can go after Okay, you. that sounds good, Mom. Uh, this story obviously is uh, Cuban because we're Cuban. Uh, a lot of ha is happening in Cuba now and it, and it started over 60 years ago. But this, this is the story of many, many people around the world that have to leave their nest. Um... Uh, and flee, escape, um, with very, very similar stories, and how profound it is uh, in this particular story that it's, it's so strong, the pull, that you go back to take back with you those members of your nest. And that's what is so profound, and I hope that it doesn't, and I don't think it will, uh, that that energy doesn't get diluted. Not in our time, not in anybody's time, that we all have a nest to come back to, build new nests. And that's why the story, at least for our little podcast, was so powerful, because it's an, an incredible force Mm -hmm. The nesting and the generational nesting is an incredible force. Um, and we're all the better for it. And now we'll, we'll, we'll close with, with Jason and the answer to that question. Really quick to touch on, on, on one of the things that your mom just said. It's, it's, so, uh, it's so important. Like she said, you know, obviously this is a Cuban story and the story of many Cubans, but it's the story of so many people that have had to, mm -hmm. you know, for, for so many unfortunate reasons, leave their nest and leave so much behind. And my mom, uh, like, it, it breaks. Obviously, like, when you see people that you love go through something, it, it hurts you. you. You know, you could feel the pain. Like, whenever I see my mom or my dad going through something, or I see my wife, or I see a sibling, anybody going through something, like, it affects you. And this pain of having left their nest so long ago and like, you know, instilling those roots in us and, and everything like wasn't up until now in July, on July 11th from then to now that I realized the, 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 just that, that I guess for me, since it was always stories, you know, and, and Like, I was never really able to put real images mm -hmm. to those stories. I always had to use my imagination, and I identified with it, and I, I felt it. And, you know, I've always said I'm Cuban, no matter where I'm at. But, like, when, when those images started leaking, and we started to actually be able to put faces to the oppressors, and, 
and to the and, and see the, the the coldness in their eyes as they do what they do to the people like and then I envision my mom going through that or my dad or my you know their my, my grandparents like I mean it's my mom always says that her parents when they left Cuba she would always be like this is temporary guys like at the end of the month we're going mm-hmm. back you know like you can think about it like that that feeling of leaving your nest like that is everything to you like you you don't want to leave that there's so many things that are a part of you that will forever be a part of you, no matter how much distance is put between you and that nest that you'll carry with you forever. So, you know, I cannot imagine the thousands of people who have to are forced to leave and that have that desire to go back and that actually believe to a certain extent that they will go back. You know, like all the family members that my mom has never been able to see again, that often were told like we're coming back, but they really believe they were coming back. Like yeah. it's just heartbreaking. Um, and, and, you know, taking all that into consideration on top of everything else that my father just shared with you guys, like, um, I, uh, I will for sure, without a doubt, you know, continue this, this, uh, this tradition that my family has. And, and I, I, you know, I pray to God that I'm going to be able to experience it with them for another 50 years, you know, um. Or, or, or however long you know God can allow me to to experience these moments with them. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it's definitely a weight that 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 you feel, but but not in a bad way. Almost in a way of like, you know, that I I know what my family stands for. I know where we come from. I know where we aim to be, and and it's just like you know the fact that I am a piece of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it just gives me everything that I need to continue to move forward towards the things that I'm aiming for, and and without a doubt, like I will always uh, carry on the traditions that that they've uh, shown me, and yeah. and Sanlazaro is going to be something that I look forward to to celebrating for the rest of my life. Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 thing here is that the roots go deep, and we're all going to keep watering that tree and and building nests. So this has been an incredible story and an incredible episode and we thank you all for being here gracias por estar aquí todos un abrazo grande a todos and thank you for your story thank you for everything all uh, you know I, we say that to our parents and you guys are saying that to your parents every day but thank you for everything you've given us and um yeah yeah um and see you next time i mean we'll 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 hear, be here on the waves for you next time <laughs> on never the empty nest <laughs> All of your success, she says, all the great things ahead. I'll be here when it's time to see you again. And if you fall, she says, if someone